Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. If you're joining us for the first time, we're doing a series in the book of John, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we are in chapter five. And our series is called Superman HD, Superman HD, speaking of the Lord Jesus. HD doesn't stand for high definition or even higher definition or even highest definition. It could do, but it doesn't. It stands for human and divine. And it's speaking about the Lord Jesus and um, his specialness. And we're in John chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verse 16 through to 29. Thank God for Bertram who shared with us last week. Our brother Ben is going to be sharing with us next week. And um, it's just exciting, man, hearing from different brothers in our church. Um, one, giving them the opportunity to share and to grow and develop. But it's nice, and it? It's a treat for us to have different speakers. And thank the Lord, man. We're banging out preachers, man, at a little South London, I should say, Ecclesia. Still trying to get used to that. So, John chapter 5, and you know, let's go ahead and pray and read, because we need the Lord's help, even in reading the text, would you agree? So, John chapter 5, starting at verse 16. I'll find it, there we go. I'm reading from the ESV. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. I said we was going to pray, didn't I? For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Let's stop. So verse 9, we come back to verse 20. (laughs) And no one ever even reminded me. Lord, thank you for the fact that we get to sit down, Lord. And partake like a good meal of your word. Father, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. We need your word like we need food. And exercise is great. But Lord, diet is even more important. And Father, we want to exercise our faith. But Lord, if we're not getting any spiritual input, We're not going to have any spiritual energy to serve you. And so, Father, as we come together today, we pray that, Lord, you would help us. Help us, Lord, as we partake of your word and allow our our spiritual body, Lord, to assimilate that food. And that it would literally change us. Um, Change the way we look, change the way we speak, change the way we listen. And, Father, even today, change the way we hear Um, because we want to be in that place, Lord, where we are hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church. Um, So we look to you for your help in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. Picking up in verse 20. <laughs> For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, if you notice, if you've got a red letter edition of the Bible, most of that is in the red. It's Jesus speaking. And... <clears throat> It's funny because last week in contrast, there was a lot from the narrator and just incidental sentences from Jesus. We see a, a great contrast, even just looking at the color of the text this week. The first section of John 5, as Brother Bertram shared with us last week, we saw the Lord Jesus heal the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And we begin to see this <clears throat> cure of this man lead to great controversy, which will continue this week, even into next week, as Brother Ben shares with us. Now, the Jews, that is this Jewish contingent predominantly made up of the religious leaders or the religious authority in Jerusalem, particularly at the temple. And these Jews continue as they, as they have been in this book to persecute Jesus. Arriving this week at a very revealing climax, we're going to see. Not only do they resent Jesus to the point of constantly challenging him, constantly goading him, constantly asking him difficult and challenging questions, they now begin to show their true colors, their deep intention is permanently to be rid of him. The cure of this man that led, that led to this controversy that will lead to Jesus making some incredible claims this week. <clears throat> the title for our message today is Double Trouble. Jesus is going to get himself into double trouble as he makes these great and glorious claims in light of this controversy based on the fact that he cured this man last week let's first look <clears throat> at the controversy in verse 16 and this was why the jews were persecuting jesus because he was doing these things when on the sabbath see the other gospels they help us um to see that this wasn't the first time that jesus actually um healed on the sabbath <clears throat> 
Mark chapter 3, we see the healing of the man with the shriveled hand. In Luke 13, we see the curing of the woman who was crippled for 18 years. Luke 14, we see the healing of the man with dropsy, which is a swelling of the skin tissue. And all of these signs, they took place, all of these miracles took place on the Sabbath. Now, these were miracles. And how many of you know only God can perform miracles? But this is the very same God who gave us the Sabbath. So, how could Jesus be at odds with God if he's doing these amazing miracles that only God can do, and at the same time he's being accused of breaking God's commandment, which is doing work on the Sabbath? And Jesus was, if you like, keeping the Sabbath in the truest sense. It was these Jews who were misinterpreting the law. Remember, the Sabbath was made for who? The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. And they'd got it twisted. They had their priorities in the wrong place. And we were talking about this last week as Brother Bertram was doing community group. Religious people tend to major on minors. A minor on majors. I mean, how are you going to start talking about the Sabbath when this man who has been sick for such a long time has now been healed? Surely you'd want to rejoice with the man. You know what I'm saying? And then recognize that only God could have healed him. Therefore, God can't really be getting bent out of shape over the Sabbath. See, and we'll find out later that, that these Jews are actually hypocrites. Because they themselves did work on the Sabbath when it suited them. Listen to Luke chapter 13. It says, now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues when? On the Sabbath. And it was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. You ever seen people like that walking down the street kind of bent over? And, and in your heart, if you're a believer, you wish that, oh my gosh, you know, you could see a miracle take place where Jesus could straighten that person up. You feel it for an individual in such, in such a condition, right? And she couldn't fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, verse 12, he called her over and said to her, woman, you're freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. And as anyone would, she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, notice, indignant, hey, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days, in, he don't even speak to Jesus, he's speaking to the people, there are six days in which you can, where's my verse? 40. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Now he ain't talking to Jesus, he's talking to the people. But verse 15, and the Lord, the, Lord never turned, the Lord turned to him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey? See, they didn't know that God was watching them, right? <laughs> and that's what happens very often, isn't it? We can be like that, can't we? We can, we, can, we, can, we can say one thing or we can do another. In public we're one thing and in private we're another. And it's something we struggle with as sinners, isn't it? You know what I mean? And I think 
Only a, only, only a liar would say that's not true. And then hopefully on the back of that say, yeah, wow, yeah, that's me, I'm a hypocrite, I'm a sinner. You know what I mean? And say, Lord, forgive me, but not these guys. Not these guys. Jesus says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water, to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, and, and he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. Because none of them could respond. What they're going to say, that's not true. When they know in their hearts it is true. They were hypocrites. But all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done by him. And the thing is, you know, <clears throat> when it comes to Jesus being accused of breaking the Sabbath, he could have appealed just on the basis of the responsibility to do that which is right. Like on the Sabbath day or on any other day. In Mark chapter 3 verse 1 to 6. Again he entered a synagogue. And a man there had a withered hand. And they watched Jesus. They're wicked and bad. They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. So that they might accuse him. Again you see majoring on the minor and minoring on the minor. Verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand come here. And he said to them, is it lawful? Because he knows they're watching. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're about, right? And he, said to them, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? And again, they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart and said to the man, you know what? Stretch out your hand, brethren. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and rejoiced. No, they didn't. And immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. See, Jesus could have appealed to the Jews on the basis of, of, of just doing good. Just doing that which is right. This alone would have been very challenging for them as it was on these two occasions. It would, it would silence them. Huh. But Jesus takes the controversy to another level. Back to our text, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, listen. <laughs> My father is working until now, and I am working. Bombshell. How do I know that that's a bombshell? Look at, verse, look at their response in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, and this is them straining at a, straining a gnat and swallowing a camel, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Notice, this is how they saw it, making himself equal with God. Now, my father is working until now, and I am working, says Jesus. The Jews here understood quite clearly that Jesus was making a statement to his deity, to his divinity. Jesus is stating here that he is in the same category as God. How? The fact that Jesus broke the Sabbath according to their deceitful standard, that was one thing. This second statement took things into a completely different category. Jesus was now at least as far as they were concerned, in double trouble. Can you see that? Because he was, 
He broke the Sabbath and now he's even calling God his own father and in their understanding making himself equal with God. In their minds, which was correct to a degree, was the thought that this claim by Jesus to also be God was a suggestion toward what they call pluralism or polytheism. That is, what. before I tell you what it is, polytheism is heterodox. It's unorthodox. It's not orthodox. It's actually heresy. And it's this, this belief that there's more than one God. So as a good Jew, you're going to hear someone saying that they're God. You're going to be like, what? There's only one God. Wait a minute. So what, you're God? That means there's two gods. I don't think so. There's only one God. They don't accept. Um, so I'm saying in that sense, you know, their thinking was straight. But, <clears throat> but that's not what Jesus was suggesting, that there are two gods. As those of us who have been following in this book have, have seen. Jesus wasn't saying he was another God as, you know, there are organizations that, that say this. Who have now just recently switched up their, their strategy. And um, you, might have, you might see them outside um, the train stations handing out books and magazines and um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, if it was a Jehovah's Witness that was speaking to these guys, they would have been right. Because in John chapter 1 verse 1, it says of Jesus, In the beginning was the Word, who is who? Right, well the Word is Jesus, we're going to see because in John in one fourteen, He becomes flesh, that is the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. It says, in the beginning was the Word, if you like, in brackets, in parenthesis, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Now that's a bad translation, that's what you will read in, what's, it, what's, the, what's their Bible called? The New World Translations, which is the retranslation of the, the Bible according to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So when they say, you know what, Jesus isn't God, one, we don't agree with them because that's not true. But then two, they're in double trouble because they then go on to say that pretty much there are two gods. Because if Jesus is a God and, and he's not the God, you've got one Two gods, and that's pluralism. But the, the real, genuine translation of that verse is, in the beginning was the word Jesus, and the word was with Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God. And obviously there's a little bit of a difficult mental puzzle to put together there. We understand Jesus and the Father together with the Holy Spirit to be one, not two or even three. One God, hence the helpful yet complex introduction of the word Trinity or triunity of the Godhead. Three yet one. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay. My Father, Jesus says, is working until now and I am working. That sounds like God the Father doesn't take a what? Sounds like God the Father doesn't take a break. God the Father doesn't take a Sabbath. And based on what Jesus says, he's saying neither does he. Neither does God the Son. Now, when was the first mention of Sabbath in the Bible that you can remember? Genesis. Thank you. Genesis um, 2. Although it's not a direct 
reference to the word Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H, it actually does make reference to all that the Sabbath communicates. So Genesis 2 verse 1 to 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, right? God's just done a great job. And so on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. He took a Sabbath, right? He took a rest from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. That is it, set it apart, because that's what it means to be holy, right? As a Christian, you're holy. It means you're set apart, you're different, you're distinct, right? He set that day apart because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God rested. Now, does that mean that God ceased to work completely? Can't be. How would the universe continue to function? That's like saying, you took a rest from cleaning your house. Now that's fine. But imagine if you then never cleaned up again. Now some of you are like, I don't think so. Right. Some of you said, especially in my house, not because of you, but because of the other people in your house. Hmm. And especially when man sinned, like in the next chapter, right, in chapter 3, how many of you know God went to work? And God went to work graciously on our behalf. And Jesus says in the same way, he is also working, if you like, in contiguity or in conjunction with the Father. Jesus is saying, I'm working. Now, to us, you know what I'm saying, we hear it and we really don't hear the ramifications and I'm saying that we don't hear the implications of what Jesus is actually saying in the way that they did. They are hearing him screaming, saying, like, just like the father works, just like God works, I'm working. What on the Sabbath as well? When everybody else, like over everyone on this side of, you know, what I'm saying the line that you've now drawn, Jesus, everyone on this side of this line has to rest on the Sabbath. You're saying you don't rest. What are you trying to say? You're trying to say, wait a minute. Only God is the one who works and continues to work. If you put yourself on that side of the line, then you're putting yourself in the God category. Verse 19. So Jesus says to them, okay. He could have just calmed it down, you know. He could have just, again, gone back to the reference of just doing right for the sake of doing right. But Jesus doesn't. If you like, Jesus has got the gloves off now. He's like, yes, I'm, listen, not only am I going to tell you that I'm God, I'm going to take it to, I'm, I'm going to actually clarify for you in no uncertain terms that I'm over here in this category and you're over here in that category. Verse 19, so Jesus says to them, listen, truly, truly, I say to you. I mean, you know, when some, that's like someone saying, like, What's up? How do we say that today? Modern vernacular. I, like, I swear down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like for real, for real. Truly, truly, I swear, I, I say to you. But for us back in the day, I swear on my mother's life. You know what I'm saying? Like when somebody says that, you're like, ooh. You know what's coming next ain't, ain't a joke thing, right? It's serious. So, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord but only what he sees the father doing, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Wait a minute. You're saying now that you see the God the father in ways that what? That nobody else sees? Yep, says Jesus. 
And not only, not only do I see him do things that none of you really don't see or understand, I can actually emulate those things. Now back in, in, in ancient times, it was very common for a son to follow in the footsteps of his father. Especially in his trade or line of work. And, and the, tr the same is true even in more modern times. Not so much today, I would argue. It's getting less and less. But if your father was a blacksmith, you'd become a blacksmith. It was, it was what was known as, as, as occupational, an occupational surname. If your father were a tanner, or a mason, or a miller, or a baker, or a hunter, or a shepherd, or a, or a barber. Right? And how many of you know, those are common names today, isn't it? Uh, part of the reason your name is Barker, or, or Barber, is because back in the day, go back to your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, he was a barber. <laughs> and, uh, like, where, 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 where I, I live in Sydenham, along the high street there, there's a, there's, a, there's a butcher's, and very often, even today, you st still see it. I'm saying it'll be such and such and sons. You know what I mean? The, uh, the one up by us is called ha ha is it Haji. They're, they're, I think they're, they're, they're in Indian or, and Muslim or Pakistani, I'm not sure. But it's Haji and sons. And they've got one branch over in Beckenham, and you go over there and you see daddy. He's the older man, greet you and treat you well and give you a little discount. And I'm saying, well, go to the one in, in, in Sydney, and it's the younger sons. They get no discount in there. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> we've been shopping in that shop for time. Man, I, I bought an avocado. Where's Helen? Is she in here? I bought an avocado. George, you remember that avocado last week? Listen, when you go to Sainsbury's and they've got them, kind of avo them little avocados, and they're kind of really bumpy, bumpy. The, li the little tiny... That's not a real avocado, man. <laughs> Listen, I know because in Jamaica, at my granddad's house, when he, uh, he, he used to live in a place called Brownstown in, 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 uh, in St. Anne, he had a... I cannot eat, he had the biggest avocado tree like you've ever seen in your life. And when I tell you that tree used to bear, like used to bear, like used to have enough, you know what I'm saying, avocado. We, my granddad, it's him introduced me to avocado. He used to eat avocado. You're like, what's this got to do with anything? He used to eat avocado. He used to eat avocado for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I couldn't get away from it. Now I, I, bought, one of, I bought one of them proper avocados from Hajj. I went, and and I, went to the, I went to Penge, and, and it was the dad, and it must have been, I don't know, two pounds and ten pence. He said, give me two pounds. You know what I mean? He's the dad... And his sons, his sons are following in the footsteps of the dad in, some, in one way. <laughs> and um, it's funny because yesterday, me, Pastor E, we had the privilege of attending a naming ceremony. I mentioned it at the beginning of the service. And at this naming ceremony, Zebedee and Anu, who just got married a little while ago, just had a baby, in it. And um, I was telling the guys earlier that, now, up until the naming ceremony, you don't know what the baby's name is, so it's Baby X. And I hear Granddad refer to him as Baby X. And that's what I thought, okay, Baby X. But it's not Baby X, not even Baby Y. Apparently, it's Baby Z. And I thought, okay, yeah, that may, not even Z, you know, Z. And because Zebedee is his dad, and I thought, okay, maybe, but I, that's not the... They were giving us an introduction to his real name, and they unveiled it yesterday. And his name is Zephaniah. I should have brought the card with me. 
I can't remember. Then he's got some next Ghanaian name and he's got a next Nigerian name. You know what I mean? And, um, but it was just wonderful. Um, I tell that story because if I'm not mistaken, and them guys can correct me, at least for, um, it may be true for Zebedee, I'm not sure. I know he's an economist. I, um, I think his dad has, is in that kind of line of work and he's kind of quote-unquote followed in his dad's footsteps. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that one. He can let us know in it and confirm it. But Anu has definitely followed in the footsteps of her father because her dad is a professor in um, the medical field you know what i'm saying and she herself is a doctor she's gangster she's not even a doctor she's a she's a consultant hey but she's following in the footsteps and you remember remember jesus was who wait a minute ain't you the carpet aren't, aren't you joseph's son like ain't you the carpenter's son and what job did jesus do he was a carpenter but he wasn't only a carpenter because we see a, we see a glimpse. Remember, it's Clark Kent, isn't it? It's Superman HD. So Jesus is walking around and you don't really know who he is until he reveals himself slightly. And in Luke chapter 2, we see him do exactly that, right? He takes off his Clark Kent glasses and verse 41 of Luke 2 says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, which is about the time in Jewish culture that you actually become what? You become a man. And I mean, I think we need more of that in our culture, don't we? We need to start telling, you know what I'm saying, the youngsters when they're 12, that you actually, you're actually becoming a man. That's why when we started the, the whole youth group um, um, recently, we don't, we're not calling it a youth group. We're calling them young adults. Because they're starting at year 7 and going up to year 13, 18. You know what I'm saying? We want them to know from now. Hey. So that you're not 30. You know what I'm saying? And people are still kind of telling you in the culture that you're a child. Because, you know what I'm saying? What we do is we see many 30-year-olds, particularly men. You know what I'm saying? Women as well. Because women are getting just as bad. Women are catching up with the men. Some, sometimes overtaking them, right? Um, and, and our culture fosters and encourages this um, delayed adolescence. You know what I mean? We don't want to do that. And so Jesus is 12. What verse are we at? And verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind. The young man Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company. He's somewhere and he must be with uncle such and such or auntie such and such in one of the caravans behind on a dock. They went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, verse, watch verse 46. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple... Sitting in the midst of the teachers, huh? both listening to them and asking them questions, verse 47. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Like, where you been? And he said to them, wait a minute. Why did you seek me? You know that I'm 12. Like, it's bar mitzvah time. You know that. 
I'm going to do what sons do, innit, in our culture. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Hmm. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. She's like, I know you're my son, but I know there's something different about you. Jesus wasn't just a son of God. He was the significant son of God. <clears throat> and this is a special and distinct term. I think we mentioned that we're, we're hoping to have a brother come who's uh, an expert in Islam. And he's going to be sharing with us, I mean, so much more than I can unpack in 45 minutes about Jesus being the son of God. That's why I've not really kind of emphasized you know, that fact, even though really this is what this text is talking about. I've just come at it from another angle. Um, we're hoping that he's going to come and in, in two one-hour sessions, he's just going to talk about Jesus, the Son of God, and what that means and the implications of that. Um, so, <clears throat> although I will kind of just mention a few things about it. <clears throat> Jesus isn't the only person in the Bible to be referred to as Son of God. <clears throat> but the references are slightly different apart from one. In Genesis 6 and in Job 1, who are called the sons of God? Angels are referred to as sons of God. In Exodus 4, verse 22, Israel is referred to as God's son. It says, out of Israel I've called my son. Right? First Chronicles 17, Solomon is referred to as God's son. But nowhere <clears throat> is anyone referred to as the Son of God. Apart from one place. Who is referred to as the Son of God? Adam. And this is amazing. Because apart from, apart from Jesus, who is called the Son of God, only Adam. And you know in Romans 5 we get this picture of how many Adams two Adams we get the first Adam and then we get what scripture calls the last Adam not the second Adam the last Adam first and this is the point everyone who has ever lived who's ever existed in human history is in one of these two Adams you're either in the first Adam or you're in the last Adam it don't matter if you're black white old or young, rich or poor, the categories are not Nigerian and Ghanaian and Jamaican and English and Polish. Those are not the categories. How many races are there? According to the Bible, there's only one. It's the human race. But it's split into two categories. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And how many of you know in Adam all do what? All die. But in Christ, all shall be what? Made alive. So Adam is the only other person that's referred to as the son of God. Because he, because the last Adam came and done the job that the first Adam couldn't do. Didn't do. Wouldn't do. Couldn't do. And <clears throat> Adam, like Jesus, was tempted yet without sin. Jesus, the Son of God, 
Um, and it speaks about the fact that he has a very unique relationship with the Father. Now, I've got to start moving, right? Jesus has got a special relationship with the Father. Look at verse 20. It says, for the Father does what? Loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Now, God doesn't show everybody all that he is doing. So there must be something special and significant about this relationship with this Son. And it says that, and greater works than these will will he show him that is the son. Remember, Jesus is speaking, so that you may marvel. It's like, if you, if you think you've seen, you ain't seen nothing yet, at least with reference to who I am and me telling you that I'm God the son, but I'm actually the son of God, which means I'm the second member of the triunity. Theologically, this love between father and son is known as inter-Trinitarian love. It's the mutual sharing of love between not just the two, but the three members of the Godhead, which is why we as God's creation experience love. Because we're created in the image and the likeness of God in that sense, which is one of the strongest arguments against evolution and Darwin's theory of the origins of man. If in, if in that case, according to Darwin, you know what I'm saying, we evolved out of something inanimate, we should all be inanimate. We should be like stones or metal or wood. Can't talk, can't feel, can't hear, can't speak, right? But we aren't. We think, we smell, we feel, we hate, we love. After the fashion of our creator. Jesus is saying, God... My father works and so do I. God, my father loves. And so do I. And you know what? He loves me particularly, specifically, distinctly, uniquely. Can you see that in that verse? We'll hear Jesus say later on in this book to the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm not like you. Again, Making reference to that distinct. I'm not like you, that distinction. I'm not like you. And the thing is, there's much more to that than meets the eye. I'm not like you. And you lot don't understand my relationship with the Father. We're going to hear this unpacked in the next few chapters. I came, I came from the Father and I'm going back to the Father. I'm not like you. None of you. Past, present or future. You can imagine these Jewish leaders hearing this, standing with their mouths like wide, like wide open. Apart from the fact that this is like stuff they've never heard. They're like, you can imagine everybody hearing this, standing with their mouths wide open. And maybe we hear this and um, maybe we sit with our mouths wide open and we should as we as we begin to contemplate the gravity of the words of Jesus. And Jesus goes on in the midst of this controversy to make even further claims. Remember, there was a cure, the, the, the man at Bethesda, this controversy. And here are the claims that Jesus makes on the back of that. Verse 21. For as the father, he goes on, raises the dead. Oh my gosh. Now they're really thinking. <laughs> Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. 
What a claim. And this is what John, if you like, the writer, is trying to say. This is, this is what we are trying to say. The series, as, as I mentioned before, is called Superman HD. And HD stands for human and divine. And here Jesus again is pulling his shirt back. Revealing the S on his chest. Now he's done it a few times privately. Remember the woman at the well? He says, yeah, we know Messiah is coming. Jesus is like, he that is speaking to you, I'm he. Sorry, I never got my pronouns right, but he was like, you know what I mean? But it was privately. But look, now more publicly, verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. This isn't just loose talk. Because he's going to prove it, isn't he? It's not just empty words in John 11. Remember what happens in John chapter 11? Lazarus! We're going to see him raise a man from the dead. I would say that he has life and he can give it to who he wills. And there's even more. Verse 22. The father judges no one. Wow, now this is, now, up until now, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, like, oh my God, like, are you serious? Now, here comes, a, I mean, it's all still, you're not serious. But this is left field. Verse 22, the father judges no one. What? God judges, I mean, if you're following him, probably some of them ain't even listening to him by now. But he's like, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to who? The son? Now, if you, thought, if, you, if you thought the first set of claims were grand, this one takes things to an even higher level. This, again, is a claim to deity, a claim to divinity. I mean, who can judge but God alone, right? And not only will Jesus be the judge, you know, the very God we would expect to judge won't. Because he will be replaced by Jesus as judge. And like, no, like Jesus, you're not serious. You are actually trying to get stoned out here. Talk about being in double trouble. Jesus. Now, notice that the people here are not just in a dilemma. How I many of you know the word dilemma is two words? It's dilemma. These, they're actually in a trilemma. Because either Jesus is a liar. You heard it before, right? Is it, um, what's the guy's name? C.S. Lewis. Lewis. This guy is either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or actually, possibly, could it be that he's telling the truth and that he's what? That he's Lord. Because it's got to be one of them three. Now watch as Jesus moves from his relationship to the Father, in verse 22, to a different relationship. Verse 23 goes on that all may honor the son. He talks about him judging in place of the father. That all may honor the son. Oh no. Just as they honor the father. And if you don't like that, you ain't going to like this. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now his hearers are now brought into the picture. Remember he's talking about his relationship with the father and his love, inter-trinitarian love between the father and the son. 
That's Jesus' relationship with the Father. Now he brings them into the issue of relationship, if you like, with the fathers. They're brought into the picture. Can you see that? And not only them, but also us. Because he uses the word what? All. Jesus, Jesus shows us how he relates to the Father in a special relationship. But he also shows us how we relate to God the Father. See, but also how we ought to relate to him. God the Son. Look at verse, well, verse 24 in a minute. What then will be the result or the rightly relating to these two members of the Godhead? What will be the result of responding positively or negatively, receiving or rejecting Jesus and the Father? Because that's what we see happening in this book quite consistently. Are you going to receive Jesus or are you going to reject him? And there, there, seems to, there never seems to be a great area. It's either one or the other. Even if you say, like you're going to say, do you, do you want Mr. Cameron? People will be like, no! People are like, do you want Mr. Mr. Clegg? Do you want Ed Miliband? You know what I'm saying? Do you want Nigel Farage? You know what I'm saying? And you're going to get some that are going to go, no! You're going to get some that are going to go, yay! And you will have some that are a little bit in the, mm, I'm not really sure. Get to the ballot box. I don't even know which one I'm going to, I'll just close my eyes and eeny, meeny, miny, moe. We'll be like, rah, man, I'm scared of labor coming back in, you know, who knows what they're going to do. At least, boy, things are bad, but boy, they could be worse. Let me vote conservative, I don't know. So when it comes to Jesus, I mean, some people never voted. Just, abs- I don't even know what to vote for. I, you know, for, I don't even business. I've got, I got things to do. It's like, whatever. You know what I mean? I feel like I ain't got no control over anything anyway. You know what I mean? God's going to do what he's going to do. Blah, blah, blah. But then with Jesus, you know, listen. If you put an X in the box, that's one thing. You vote for Jesus. Or you vote against for Jesus by voting for some. Even if you say, I'm going to abstain, I'm not voting. How many of you know, with regards to Jesus, that's a vote. When you don't vote, you're saying, you're saying, I reject you. You're saying, I reject you. And we see this constantly through this book. Will you accept or will you reject? Are you going to respond positively or negatively? Look at verse 24 through to 26. I'll read verse 24. Jesus says, another truly, truly. I say to you, whoever hears my word. And it's funny. Remember, it's all in red, right? Either Jesus ain't giving them an opportunity to speak or they got nothing to say. Maybe it's just like in the text that we read earlier, they're all silent. Because remember, he silenced them when he dealt with them over this Sabbath thing. So maybe they just, they got nothing to say. I don't, but they're obviously not saying anything because Jesus is doing all the, Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life he does not come she does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life what a transition remember that this is the ultimate aim of john's letter we know that because in chapter 20 he tells us verse 31 he says but these are written so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you may have life in his name 
Verse 24 is part of the whole reason he's written the book. And it's funny because the life that Jesus gives, when does it come? It comes immediately. It's not something you have to wait for when you die. You get it now. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Again, Lazarus will be the literal example of this. But this isn't just talking about physical life. It's also talking about spiritual life. The word here for life isn't bios, which is natural life or physical life, but zoe in Greek, which stands for spiritual life. Notice the dead will hear his voice. This is not talking about those who are dead, literally dead, physically dead. This is talking about those who are alive and spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 talks about the living or the walking dead. Those who haven't had a second birth. They've just had a natural physical birth, but it's not a spiritual one. And just like the physical dead can't bring themselves to life, guess what? Neither can the spiritually dead. I think I heard, where's Daniel? Is Daniel in there? Daniel Serene. He was, yeah, he mentioned that during our time of praise. Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy. How many of you you are glad that God is rich in mercy? I know I am. Because the amount of mercy that I need, I need a rich man to be able to provide me with the mercy where me need. You know what I mean? He says, God is rich because of the great, not just love, you know, the great love. With which he loved. And this comes out of the intertrinitarian love. It's because they have a real love among themselves. They're now able to, willing to, wanting to share that love. And he shares that love with us. That great love with which he loved us. Even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. Notice he's speaking about people who are alive but are dead. They're alive physically but dead spiritually. Because how do I know that? Because they're sinning. Because it's... Ain't got time. By grace you have been saved. Mercy and grace. So you know the difference between mercy and grace, right? Mercy. Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. Come here. Like... I said, come here. You are now going to get what you deserve. Now, the camera's not on me, right? So look. You're going to get what you... Uh, some of us understand that language, right? And then here comes mom. Oh, just da, da, it, it was the first time. Just give them a chance. Da, 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 da. Plead, mer- beg for them, right? Mercy. Be merciful. And uh, All right, then. <laughs> but you're not going out to play today, right? Now, look. You didn't get what you deserved. That's, mer- that's mercy, not getting... Mer- but grace is different. Because grace now gives you what you didn't deserve. Mercy, I'm going to... And you don't. But gra- it's like you're in the courtroom and you're guilty, isn't it? And the judge says, you should get a triple life sentence. But I'm going to let you go. Everyone in the courtroom is like, what? And you're standing there, you're like, what? 
And you get to walk out the court, even, no, 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 even though you're guilty, you get to walk out the court. And as you're walking out the courtroom, contemplating, wait a minute, I should be cuffed and getting to prison. I'm out smelling of breathing fresh air. You know what I mean? Oh, the sky looks different. It looks bluer than it normally does. And you know what I'm saying? You get a little skip in your seat. You're like, to the point, like, surely someone's going to come and grab me because I can't be. I've got a way. I've got a way. It's like I've got mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. And I'm walking out the courtroom, like, gleefully. And then someone comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, hey. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, um, how, how, about, how, how about I give you something that you can't pay for? How about, and you're, and you're like, hmm? How about I give you something you can't pay for and I actually invite you to come and live with me like in Buckingham Palace? You know what I mean? And, and you're like, what? For how long? You're like, forever. Huh? Now, you see, I got a minute ago, I didn't get what I deserved. Now I'm getting something. I didn't get what I, I, didn't get what I deserved and now I'm getting what I didn't deserve. That's the difference between mercy and grace. And now you get to live with God for eternity. I mean, I mean that's an individual that was in double trouble. And now they're getting a double blessing. Like, God made us alive together with Christ by grace. You see, grace and earlier, by grace you have been saved. And it's, and it's Christ's effectual call that raises the spiritually dead. In the same way that, could Lazarus have got up out the grave if he wanted to? I don't think so. And in the same way that he couldn't get up out of his grave, you and me couldn't get up out of our deadness, out of our spiritual deadness. We needed God to make us alive. See, and this is amazing, right? Contained in the command is the power to respond. So when, Je- when listen, somebody said when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Someone said if Jesus never said Lazarus, the, like all of the graves would have opened up and people would have walked out. He had to name him, you know what I mean? You, not, you, just you, Lazarus, <laughs> come forth. And in the command was the power to, for him to respond. How did he respond? Just like in verse 8 of our same chapter, Brother Bertram helped us last week. Remember the paralyzed man? Jesus said to a man who couldn't walk, verse 8, get up, take up your bed and walk. Contained in the command is the power to respond. Same as the man with the withered hand. The man's hand's withered. You ever seen somebody like with a withered hand? How are you going to tell a man to stretch out his hand when he can't stretch out his hand? Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And the man goes like this and he stretched. <laughs> he stretched that. Why? Because contained in the command is the power to respond. Same as the man. See, now that's what you and I experience in a new birth. That's what we experienced. The Bible calls it regeneration. That's the, the technical term for it. Um, where's, where's Brent, I know this is one of Brent's favorite verses. Brothers, Titus 2 verse 5. 3 verse 5. How's it go, brother? Jeez. Shring, shring. 
My man just, just put the sword back in its, back in its sheath. Man said, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the heart. It's the power of God that hit you and hit me that made us come alive. Wow. Not sure if you noticed, but verse 25 referred to Jesus as the Son of God. Verse 27 will refer to Jesus now in a different way. Verse 27. Oh my gosh. And then we're going to go, I'm going to, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to go pow. And then we're going to come to an end, right? I, well, I think so. You may not agree, but we'll see. Verse 20, so, verse 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Jesus said that already. Why? Because he is the son of man. Son of God, verse 25. Now, oh, son of man. This is a title that Jesus uses for himself about 50 times in, the, in all of the Gospels. If the Jews were astonished at the last 11 verses, here's the finishing light. Jesus is going to finish it now to the point where he will tell them in a minute not to marvel. Why? Because when he hit them with this one, they're going to be marveling. So he's going to tell them in a minute not to marvel. What is it that would be so astounding? The term son of man is famously found where in the Bible? When I saw this, Daniel chapter 7, read it with me. This is one of the amazing visions that Daniel has. Well, it's actually two. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. Who's the ancient of days? No dispute over who he is. This is God. At least from a Jewish point of view. No dispute whatsoever. And the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, a thousand thousands served him and 10,000 time, times 10,000 stood before him I would say that this is a significant person and it says the court sat in judgment and the books were opened does this sound familiar very similar picture to that found in Revelation 20 at the judgment in the last day before the throne of God now drop down to verse 13 I'll do it for you Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, is another one he's, he's going to tell. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a, what? Like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given what? Dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now listen. You and me might read that and think, that's nice. 
heard that a couple of times before. Oh, I've never ever heard that before. Hmm, it's kind of interesting. What is it like? What does it mean? When a, Jew, when a Jewish individual heard this text, especially those who were skilled in the text, like the scribes and the Pharisees, they know who the Son of Man is from an Old Testament point of view. He's very high and exalted, even to the point where, rah, who is he? Loads of the rabbis ain't sure. Because he's so glorious, they've got to be careful, because they don't want to say, ooh, he, he looks and he sounds very much like God, but we can't say that because that's pluralism. They'll be like, they aren't. So now you've got, G listen, I'm telling you, this is the knock. Jesus says, remember the son of man? Daniel chapter 7, yo, that's me. <laughs> He's Number one, according to this Old Testament section of scripture, which the Jews would have been very familiar with, the Son of Man is a very significant individual. Would you agree, just on, a, just on, on casual reading? Yeah. Number two, notice, when it comes to the clouds, you, how many of you know, when Jesus comes back, how's he coming back? I wonder if I can quote it. 1 Thessalonians 4, the camera ain't on me. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, right? I've got my Bible here just in case. I, wrote, I memorize it in King, New King James. And the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the trump of God, and with the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him, where? In the clouds. But that is not what this is talking about. Why? Because when Jesus returns and we're caught up with him in the clouds, which direction is Jesus traveling in? He come from heaven, right, down to earth, and we're meeting him in the clouds. Which direction is he coming from and heading toward? You're right. I think. He's coming from heaven, as it were, down to earth, right? That's not what this says. Notice the direction of movement. Which verse is it? 13. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days. Which direction is the son of man traveling in? Well, he ain't coming down. He's moving toward the ancient of days. When else... Do you see Jesus associated with the clouds? Jeez. Sister Missy. And I did actually hear it over there. I'm not so sure about you lot over there. <laughs> At Jesus' resurrection, he's with the disciples. And he says to them in Acts chapter 1 through to verse 8, something like that. Because I know in verse 8 he says to them, they're like, oh, Lord, are you now going to establish the kingdom in Israel? Is it now we're going to take over the Romans? And yeah, we're going to rule. You're going to rule. And we're going to rule next to you. Yeah. No. <laughs> Jesus says, no, it's not going to go like that. He says to them, um, that's not your business. He says, your business is this. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. This ain't the time for quote-unquote ruling. This is the time for mission. 
I've been on a mission, that's why I came here. I'm leaving, but you lot are staying to complete the mission. And as he's speaking to them, what happens? He gets taken up in the clouds. And that's what's happening here. It's Jesus going to the ancient of days after the resurrection, at the ascension. But my point is, who is it that's going Who is Jesus? Who is the Son of Man? Well, the kind of glory that he's got here is either he is God, alongside God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God and and was with God. Or we got two gods. Because this person's too glorious to be anything other than God. But we see a distinction between him and God, i.e. the Ancient of Days. You see what I'm saying? Verse 28. <laughs> See? Now, look, I told you as best I could, you know, I'll pick like knocking myself out, right? Trying to help you, trying to show you. And I know I'm probably not doing a good job. But when Jesus said that to those Jews, they got it. They got, that's, why he's gonna, that's why he says to them, listen, don't marvel at, <laughs> at this. And he's been building and building and building, and it is a lot to marvel at. If you really hear what he's saying, he says, do not marvel at this. He says, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. This is First Thessalonians chapter. No, no, it's not First Thessalonians 4.16 because it's only the dead in Christ rise at that point. It's the, it's the Revelation 20 when everybody, the tombs all open up. The sea gives up its dead. Everybody comes back to life physically, literally. And Jesus says, all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Double trouble. At this point, does it sound like it's double trouble for Jesus? No, no, no. It's double trouble for us. I should have said it's double trouble for these individuals who are listening to Jesus. But then obviously also it's double trouble for us. Number one, Jesus is not only human. He's divine. He's God. And number two, he is the one who gives life, but he is also the ultimate judge. Double trouble for these Jews standing listening to Jesus, but also for us who are listening to the words of Jesus. I'm going to invite the guys to come and join me. It's about time and invite the guys to come and join me. Um, let me try and rearrange this. Because I know you guys need it, right? <clears throat> and as you're coming up, as you guys are coming up prayerfully, I know for me, I don't know how true it is for you, but I know for me, man, I'm so blind, I'm so fickle, I'm so short-sighted. And I mean, it's like I've done this study and I'm so excited about it, seeing Jesus in a new way, a new and living way, and and it moves me. Move me to the point where I'm so moved, I'm sharing it with you. 
and and yet I know come by tomorrow morning take the kids to school have to make breakfast have to get up early have to go to work you know what I mean and man I'll be on the train you know what I mean and I don't like working in central London because you know what I'm saying it's like the, 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 the women on the train if they don't look fine they're making themselves look fine right there in front of you right and you know what I'm saying? I say this. I say this to the fellas because I want. You know what I'm saying? It's like I want you to know that whoever you see standing on the platform ain't got it together. Daniel prayed it earlier. Like he was like, God, we're so sinful, and yet you love us. You know what I mean? Tomorrow I'll be there, and the temptation I'll be looking. You know what I'm saying? And not because I want to do anything. I don't want another woman. I'm I'm happily married. You know what I mean? But David had everything he wanted. I'm saying Solomon had everything he wanted Samson had everything he wanted and I heard someone say that you know what I'm not as godly as David I'm not as wise as Solomon and I'm not as strong as Samson and all three of those men fell sexually I know it can happen to me but fellas it can happen to you you know what I mean my prayer is that We'll hear this and it will impact us, but not just now. And it might not even impact you. Lord Jesus, I pray that some of the things that we've discussed this, this morning slash afternoon, Lord, some of the things we've been talking about since we've been in the book of John, Lord, some of the things we've been talking about since we've been here in this building coming up to a year, Lord, some of the things we've been talking about, our existence as a church, Lord, Ecclesia, formerly known as Calvary Chapel, South London, 2003. Since then, Lord, we've been we've been talking about you and how great you are, and how our lives relate to yours in one way or another. And and Lord, it feels like, apart from everything that's been said, tomorrow we can still go out, Lord. Be that selfish, lying, cheating. Lord, we can just be so sinful and we just desperately need your help. Father, we hear the claims of Jesus and Lord, some of us are more excited about voting and about the election, although it's past and gone now. It's old news now. We're more excited about the FA Cup final coming up. We're more excited that shopping trip to Westfields Lord would you help us we're fighting Lord we're fighting against the devil and he's on it we're fighting against the world Lord and Lord our biggest battle we fight is with ourselves would you help us help us as we hear these glorious truths to engage with them and to respond because it's not just a story about some Jewish people in a, in a temple that doesn't even exist 2,000 years ago Lord this relates to us and unless you empower your word and, in, and open our hearts to receive that, that word Lord it will just fall on hard soil and it will just bounce and the seed will have no effect Lord God would you work in us
work in us. Would you move us? Would you motivate us, Lord God? So that we will see you for who you are. And Lord, not just for a minute or a moment or a day or another week or a month or just this year, 2015. But Lord, with the rest of our lives, Lord, we would we would respond righteously to your revelation of yourself that's what wisdom means responding to God based on the revelation of himself Lord help us to live wisely in this wicked and corrupt and evil world for Jesus sake find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.